Welcome back to the Film Experiences Supporting Actress Smackdown. Uh, this month we're doing 1937, and I'm very excited to introduce our panel. Um, and that would be, first up, we have Chelsea Eichholz, freelance critic and podcaster. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. And where can listeners uh, find you? Um, I'm Chell725 across all the important social medias and letterbox. And then the Untitled Cinema Gals podcast. That's where I just go on random tangents. And Nathaniel, you're going to be on sometime this fall. Yes, <laughs> sometime. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we have uh, Tim Roby uh, from the Daily Telegraph. Welcome back, Tim. Hi, thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, I always just really look forward to this every, whatever, three or four years. Come on, I think I might have done it four times now. Yeah. Uh, and I remember it back in the very earliest days, the stinky Lulu days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, sh- I should say I do um, film reviews for The Telegraph in London here. I've been doing it for about 20 or 20 odd years, something like that. And I do a bit of radio here and there as well, but that's me. Um, and then we have uh, Pamela Hutchins- Hutchinson, uh, first time on the podcast. Yes, I'm so excited to join my first pro wrestling film history moment uh, with this supporting <laughs> actress, Smackdown. Um, yeah, I'm a film critic. I do a bit of film history. Dirty secret about me is that I did actually used to work on a wrestling magazine. So when you approached me, I thought, well, this has to happen. This is natural. <laughs> uh, and my big passion is for silent cinema. So I have a website called Silent London, which I write all about that. But for all the other nonsense that I do, you can follow me on Twitter at Pam Hutch, because my whole name is too long. <laughs> Great. I um, mean, a lot of the actresses we're discussing today actually started in silent cinema. All the best ones, for sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And finally, we have Boyd Van Hooy. Welcome back. Yeah, it's great to be back. Um, very excited, um, especially because I chose this year specifically because I, well, I thought I'd not seen any of the films. Turned out I had already seen two. But um, yeah, I, I'm using this podcast, you know, as a way to make sure I see all the movies that I haven't seen yet. So. Great to be back. Yeah, it's, it's a way for me to fill in my Oscar gaps as well, because I do have them even after all these years of writing about movies. Um, there's just so many. In case you're just joining us, we watched uh, Stage Door, Stella Dallas, Night Must Fall, Dead End, and In Old Chicago, and which is a wide range of genres, but a couple of noirs in there. Um, and let's start with uh, the biggest hit among these uh, films, which was Stella Dallas. Very famous melodrama with Barbara Stanwyck. And who who is like the most passionate uh, Stella Dallas fan in the room? I think it's Tim. Could well be me. Yeah, it's in my top 100 uh, of all time. Uh, and uh, I just adore it. I adore it. It's not the perfect film at all, but I adore it. And I think Barbara Stanwyck is just out of this world great in it and should have won her Oscar for it. Um, yeah. And But what did you think about her co-star? So, and Shirley, yeah, I always forget her, essentially. Uh, when, when I think about Stella Dallas, for some reason, she doesn't stick in my mind anywhere near as much as Stanwyck does. Um, rewatching it, I don't think that's entirely her fault. I think it's, it, there's a certain basic quality to her role which uh, means that it's sort of, she, she's often simply supporting, isn't she? She kind of enables how good Boris Stanwyck is in the film. Um, but I do, she, she grows on me as the film goes on. And I think that she, she actually is quite strong in the last couple of reels when she's playing the confusion of the, the daughter 
and uh, sort of her inability to understand her mother in the last part of the film, I think, is the best element of her of that character. She really comes, she, she gains dimensions there for me. So I kind of, in the end, I think it is a re- very solid, respectable turn. Uh, it's just not, it's not the highlight of the film by any means. Yeah, Boyd, you were saying uh, that she has no personality of her own. It's all like about the parents. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and it's sort of disappointing because you see what Barbara does with that role and you're just sort of like, I mean, it would be so great if we could also have the second female character be as complex and as richly developed, uh, but which is not the case at all. She's some sort of like ideal daughter or, or, or daughter-in-law or something like that. Um, so yeah, at, in that sense, I was a bit disappointed because you sort of see in the one hand, wow. And then on the other hand, you're sort of like, mm. Yeah, I was just sort of hoping that, you know, even towards the end, I, I, I wrote this in my blurb as well. I mean, you have that scene where um, uh, Senwick is looking at her daughter through the window from the outside. And I sort of felt like the whole movie I was watching her, like just, you know, some creature behind, you know, a, a glass pane and you can't really actually get into her, um, her own thoughts and her own ideas. You just sort of see her at, at a distance as some sort of ideal creature, really. She definitely plays this very classic ingenue role I think and it's really interesting what you say Boyd because maybe I'm a little bit obsessive but uh, I'm a big fan of Stella Dallas 1937 also Stella Dallas 1925 and the novel which the novel goes into that quite a lot Um, Olive Higgins Parish novel talks about understanding life as if you're just looking at life through a cinema screen and I think that there's a lot that's wrong or perhaps not admirable not impressive about Anne Shirley's performance that is disappointingly exactly what was wanted because she does seem like the kind of person you should be because Barbara Stanwyck's character is so much not the kind of person that one should be and her sort of <laughs> static <laughs> perfection of a beautiful face and a wide-eyed innocence and the way that she just always you know she's the girl you can take anywhere of course she fits in with the crowd so beautifully I think that the film is quite kind to her I think the film sort of seems does well by its rather dull supporting actress I was talking about the scene in the train carriage, which if if you don't cry during that scene, I'm not sure if you're alive. Um, and <laughs> it's about, you, you see something, ter- something terrible is spoken, um, poor nothing, I can't even bear it. Um, mm. And you see Barbara Stanwyck's reaction and Barbara Stanwyck's reaction is priceless. And this is the kind of thing she was doing in the early thirties, this beautiful melodrama. And Shirley's reaction is a little bit less wonderful but there's lighting and there's a cutaway to the Barbara Stanwyck, you know, the Barbara Stanwyck Kuleshoff effect that really does right by Anne Shirley there, who obviously I've always loved as a child because she was Anne Shirley. Um, and I think that it's a fundamentally very kind film. And I feel I should criticise Anne Shirley's performance more than I'm prepared to, is all I'm saying. <laughs> no, I mean, the thing is for me, like, I think she's good in it, but it's just that the writing is not good. It's not good enough. Like, she's not giving the opportunity to really, you know, add a lot of shit, like interesting shading in, into her character. I mean, when her mother at a certain point says a woman wants to be something else besides a mother, like, I don't feel that that's valid for the daughter. Like, she just has to be the perfect daughter. That's it. Yeah, I agree. She is a quite underdeveloped but I do like her portrayal it's much more subtle than a lot of children performances at that time that were just so over the top and why we kind of don't like child actors of the time so I think she did a really good job with that and I do wish she had been given more complexity because I really like their relationship 
There's, there's one really weird note in the film in her performance when she's talking about her dad in the kitchen at one point and she starts stroking this knife. Do you, know, you remember this bit? It's a very <laughs> odd moment. <laughs> what Freudian stuff is going on here, I, maybe we shouldn't explore. But yeah, it could have done with a bit more weirdness in it, the, the performance in that way. Uh, I guess if you compare the the daughter in Mildred Pierce, for example, there's an example of obviously a much, a much, much uh, more um, harder character to like. But um, there's just a lot. There was a lot more depth to that role, I thought. Yeah. And there, one thing that I thought was weird about this sort of, of her embodying this sort of saintly idea of a daughter, as opposed to like an actual character, was that wasn't that. Stella's whole problem to begin with is sort of idealizing one type of person and not like thinking through what she actually wanted in life. <laughs> and so she marries the guy at the very beginning of the movie who is her, her ideal essentially, but they don't have anything in common. They don't, you know, love each other. And so, and then she seems happy that her daughter wants the exact same things that she originally wanted, but Maybe her daughter doesn't know what she wants either, but I don't think the movie explores that. So I've always had sort of a complicated relationship with this movie. Like I liked it much better now as an adult than when I first saw it when I was a teenager. Um, and I hadn't seen it since. Um, um, but I liked it a lot more this time because I could appreciate Stanwyck's performance a lot more, but I just still don't really, I, I can't, it's the idealization of the daughter that's a problem for me because you know, why should we idealize idolize someone who doesn't have their own self? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like her performance is making us care about her more than the script is, I feel like, because there's nothing to her. But I still think she's capable in many ways. It's just lack of opportunity to show off. But Stanwyck is so good. She just makes you care. I mean, well, that's the point. I mean, we shouldn't really care about Laurel that much. We care about how Stella feels about Laurel. The heartbreak is the, the mother. I feel like I'm worried about spoilers, and it, it was a while ago, wasn't it? Um, but, yeah, <laughs> it's been a few years. That a mother has to give up her child. That she could make that choice, and the only way to do it is to make the daughter believe that she's quite happy to do that. So you know, the daughter isn't really that interesting. You know, I mean, the, the point is that we should always be going back to. Stella Dallas and sorry to be this person I don't won't do this any others but really if you think a lot about what what was written around the film and around the silent film it's all about the fact that audiences would find Stella Dallas quite unappealing it would be how could you play that role so you know it's almost like and Shirley's role is just a benchmark for acceptability and what we really should be doing the journey we're on is learning to love a woman who has brassy curly hair and you know says the wrong thing and you constantly see her being put in these positions where she looks even worse than she does and so we have to confront our own prejudices I think um, our 1937 era prejudices I do appreciate uh, about a certain kind of woman. She feels a bit like a pet to me in a sense you know if she would have a, a couple of quirks and it would be so easy to love her but now she's just so perfect I'm just sort of kind of like I find it hard to to sort of follow the Stanway character's love for that character. So, I mean, you know, I don't even have children, so I don't even have that sort of thing. I'm just sort of like, yeah, yeah, she's nice, but she's just very beige, <laughs> you know. And yeah. it might just be of the era because I had recently watched Men and Bill from earlier in the decade. And I'm like, this is like the more developed version of that. So I think it's just a theme in the thirties of mother daughter, but it's really just mother. 
I mean, yeah, Frances Marion was quite interested in Mothers, I guess. And she wrote the silent version, I think. It uh, is really interesting to watch the silent version and see how much of the 1937 version is shot for shot. Who plays mm-hmm. Ella in the silent one? Who plays... Uh, an actress called Belle Bennett, who wasn't too dissimilar from Stella Dallas in some ways, and didn't have a good end, I'm afraid. Uh, oh, no. she, uh, TB or something like that. Um, she, yeah, yeah. TB, no, that's the worst end. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember, but she got ill, and, and having had this massive oh. triumph playing this killer role. I, I thought you said TV. I thought you said oh, TV. No. I'm not channeling that much snobbishness, honestly. <laughs> well, one thing I liked about this movie so much more as an adult watching it was the uh, Barbara O'Neill character, uh, Helen Morrison, um, who, you know, becomes Floral's uh, stepmother, uh, because I, I thought she was the the stuff she was reading between the lines and that she understood Stella so much more than I was remembering. Like I had viewed it as the entire movie was judgmental about Stella, but that's not the case. So I thought that brought an interesting element to it of like women, you know, it was one of the other movies we watch is all about women sort of being catty to each other. And in this, <laughs> the stage door, which we'll get to, but this one, it's like, it's surprisingly non-vicious considering the story is so brutal to Stella. And I really liked their scenes together. It just yeah. felt like mother to mother. They understood each other and how she just didn't want to embarrass her daughter and just wanted the best for her and that they could connect on that level because she just wanted the best for her son. So I really like would love to see more of that, actually. No, I mean, for me, that's one of the highlights as well, that scene where, I mean, you should the set seems to be completely white and she's the only one wearing a little bit of black and you're sort of, she feels completely out of place and she's trying to sort of plead her case. I don't know, just it really, even visually, it sort of, you go, wow, okay, you know, I, I, I see what they're trying to do here, yeah. I think that's one of the, the better, scene, better scenes in the film, for sure. So, Pamela, when was the silent version? What year? I think it's 25. I think it's 25. Okay. Uh, and it's directed by Henry King, amazingly. Um, oh, it's wow. so good. I, it's a high recommendation. And on my DVD of Stella Dallas 1937, which is mysteriously lost, uh, there is a special feature, which it, that's all it's called. But that is the silent version. Oh wow! Okay. It that way, yeah. So that's my hot tip. Um, just because <laughs> I mean, I think Stella Dallas is wonderful. 1937 is incredible. I I I think that Tim and I can have a fight over who likes it more. <laughs> But I also just implore people to watch the 1925 version because it's just more and you don't worry about people's bad dialogue in it. <laughs> Perfect. I just ordered the DVD, so I'm excited now. I hope it's the right one and I hope I find my copy, yeah. I'm going to go check after this. But what about the remake of Stella Dallas, the Bette Midler version? Never seen it. I'm not no, sure I'm going to. I don't know. I haven't watched. It was, Have it was it? Bette Midler, wasn't it? It was Bette Midler, which is great casting, but I haven't seen the whole thing either because I okay. think I, I think I watched it when I was quite young, so I don't really, I wasn't really paying attention, shall we say? Mm. Um, but but I've seen clips, and she's obviously, it's a great idea, and you wonder how many actresses in the generation can be a Stella Dallas who wants to go all the way there because it, if you made it now, what would Stella Dallas's unappealing characteristics be? I wonder. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I think they should yeah. do it now with Monique. I think yeah. could be a great star. That's what should happen now. She'd be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's halfway there in Precious, really, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, let's go to the other big hit uh, of the year of of the of the five that we watched uh, in Old Chicago, which was actually released in 1938. But it's one of these fuckery moments in Oscar history where the the eligibility period was a little different than calendar year. So in Old Chicago is basically the very very beginning of 1938. We still see that a lot with film releases being confusing as to what which year they belong to. But it was a huge hit. Um, starred Tyrone Power, Don Amici, and Alice Faye, who all co-starred again in another huge hit the same year, Alexander was Ragtime Band. So they were quite popular at the time, and In Old Chicago was a huge success. And I, when I was trying to describe it and just like trying to get people to watch these movies for the SmackDown, I realized it does, it's like every genre at once, <laughs> including a musical. They have, it has three full musical numbers. Yeah. So it was a lot. So, and I, I think that um, I've seen it before um, and, but I also think it's very movie, movie enjoyable. So does anyone disagree? Ooh. It was a great. great background while I folded laundry. That's, that's oh. how enjoyable it is for me. I can <laughs> fold my laundry and look up and be like, okay, they're cute, <laughs> but it didn't leave much of an impression with me. Just so much was happening. Well, Jim, if you were folding laundry during the scene where they're folding laundry, hopefully I know. Inspiration. our shirt, came, shirt come off, which is a very exciting oh, one. He's so handsome. It got me through some scenes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. No, I, for me, I, I pretty much loved it, except for that final monologue, which I just, I can't. Oh, I, yeah. No, please, yeah, you stop watching before that starts, because that, for me, it almost ruined the whole experience. I mean, it is 20 movies all at once, you know, it's a lot of bang for your buck, and those 20 minutes of, you know, Chicago going up in flames are amazing for... It's um, really impressive, that ending, I think. So impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So technically um, impressive, yeah. yes. Yeah, the, the building falling on spoiler alert alert one of the main characters dies in the fire and uh the building falls on top of him and that looks so real yeah it's I incredible like, i don't know how they did it all yeah i i agree about the monologue though i think i might have docked an entire heart off alice brady's uh, assessment just for that monologue because it's a nightmare um yeah. and i do str- struggle a bit with her in this film i think she's a really good actress but the role to me is just very tiresome so she, she's just the type, she's just the kind of matriarch she's bossy she there's one you know she plays the piano a bit and gets a little bit kind of weepy and moist and then she just gets bossy and huffy again she's horrible to Alice Faye I'm like no give me Alice Brady any day of the week in my man Godfrey a year absolutely which was nominated yeah. for as well and which that you know that's that's the one for, for us isn't it that's the one um, yeah. this is this is just Alice Brady but not fun well, the odd thing for me about this performance is like at the beginning, I think, oh, I, I like this performance. Like she's not playing into the sentiment of the character, like her husband's dying in front of her and she, it's very dry and so a little distance from from the emotions, which I thought was appropriate for like a, a hard traveled like family and, you know, like trying to build a life um, from scratch. And yet so everything I liked about the performance in that final scene, she sort of like goes the opposite direction entirely and sort of sentimental, sentiment, I can't even speak today. <laughs> it's like everything that I liked about the performance, she was like, no, no, just kidding, reset for this final scene. Yeah. 
Ashima, I think that you all love this film a lot more than I do. I I was very excited to watch it because I thought it was going to be several movies in one. And um, yeah, I quite I was quite taken with the first scene and I thought I can take so much kind of I'm a good Irish type kind of uh, talk, you know, it might be a bit close to home, but uh, yeah, no, it went down and down and down. And I was very glad to see, um, yeah, Chicago burn. Bring on the inferno, basically. Yeah, I was like, give, yeah. give me some action because I can't bear these people talking in cliches. And, and of course, that means that I probably suffered during the final monologue more than I should have done. I, I should have distracted myself with some laundry. I should have thought, <laughs> thought about the hardships of one's Irish ancestors. I shouldn't have been so flippant. But I'm afraid she really did lose me in this. And I actually was gunning for her because I thought this is great juicy role. She is. She's the woman who started the Chicago fire. You know? <laughs> and yet she doesn't seem to care. She doesn't, she doesn't seem to care at all. Yeah, that's, Jim, that's when you're right up. I was like, it's so true. She doesn't seem to care at she doesn't all. Give a shit. No. Yeah. And she says, you know, what if O'Leary start we finish? I'm like, well, where are you going to incinerate next? I mean, my grasp of American history is not great, but you didn't, didn't just lose everything because of this one woman running around with her cows, did you? That would be terrible. <laughs> You've not seen the sequel in old San Francisco, which where is starts just pouring kerosene over the Golden Gate Bridge, you know. <laughs> well, yet again, I'd probably sit through it for the effect, so Yeah. In Chicago wasn't that old when that when the fire happened, so that's also so weird. It's like in old Chicago, I mean Chicago was like, I don't know, even fifty years old, you know, it's like it's weird. <laughs> interesting because this was made sort of slightly in a response to San Francisco wasn't it I think and the idea that you know a big disaster movie get a great cast and yet somehow the performances and the dialogue is a little underwhelming it feels like a review from a year ago 10 years ago there's often these films that have this sort of get an ensemble don't worry too much about hitting the nuances of actual sentiment and uh, and give us lots of special effects and I think watching those films we know exactly what we're going into and this time I was sort of waiting to be wowed by Alice Brady's great skill and so I, I watched this film backwards and the wrong way around is all I'm saying. <laughs> they they, they programmed this one at uh, the Bologna festival that is very oh. close to Hammer and, and My Heart um, a few years ago and I, I kind of enjoyed it there because on the big screen the, the effects were great and I was like this is creaky but I'm kind of into it in a kind of matinee way uh, go and get an ice cream straight afterwards sort of thing but re-watching it for this on, on DVD it didn't it didn't hold up very well for me uh, until the end I do think I, I would happily watch the last 20 minutes of whenever I go back to it just that bit then yeah. cut before the monologue so you've got you know you've got that window I love these uh I, I love that uh Tyrone Power and Don Amici made these two like sort of completely ahistoric movies back to back that it sell themselves as like history movies because <laughs> Alexander's Ragtime Band is all about like the, this uh you know that that musical era and yet it's sort of completely white um everything about it is white sort of the creation of that whole thing and and it's just very similar only in that one they fight over Alice Faye as opposed to just one of them being interested in her but um but Alice Faye helped me get through this I do think she's quite good in this and I think her voice is beautiful um singing voice and I'm such a sucker yeah, no, for musicals that I just pretended the three musical numbers were stretched out instead of all together they all happen like back to back so it's like the movie remembers oh I'm not a musical I'm a disaster epic let me go back to the city story 
They had to have literally something for every single audience. It was not a four quadrant thing. It is like, we are going to give somebody something every single time. <laughs> you just have to wait for it. Yeah. But no, the, the film was very long. I did like her in the beginning. And I feel like maybe people were just like, well, she didn't win last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whenever she was that. incredible and an amazing and a great movie. So why not now? Well, maybe that's we- great. That's a great point, Chelsea, because yeah. this is only the second year of the category. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was wondering Everybody... if we were going to talk about this because I feel as though the category is still finding its feet and it yeah. hasn't really quite decided mm-hmm. what it's doing. I mean, the, the scope of the roles is so bizarrely different as well when we come on to, to yeah. Claire Trevor versus Dame May Whitty. <laughs> I know. Which is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is the SmackDown I want. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, we're still doing that though, right? It's like mm-hmm. only now it's like more on the Dame May Witty side um, of yeah. mostly leading roles for supporting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were finding their feet again. And this is like, I think a couple of you mentioned this in your little blurbs, but it's very much the archetypal, like long suffering mother. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like setting the archetype for this category, which will be a very popular role in this category from then on basically very much I have one, yeah i have one question uh because i read some weird trivia thing somewhere it might have been imdb maybe somewhere else i don't remember about um at the time it was apparently impossible for female extras to be in sort of dangerous situations did anyone read this or no hmm. um and so apparently i mean i've i've tried to see if i could find examples of it but i wasn't very successful so apparently in the big scene where all the fi- where all the fires are happening there are women running around but it's all men in drag apparently because <laughs> women were not allowed and and they say you can see it but i so i was i sort of went through the scenes and i couldn't really find it i mean everything is happening so quickly maybe i need a bigger screen i don't know but um i thought it was an interesting sort of bit of trivia there um i love that yeah i hope I that's true <laughs> we're gonna frame by frame this <laughs> Well, they only just brought in rules about um, protecting animals on set, so you sense the reason they were they were they were all worried about women. I don't know. Ridiculous! I'm sorry, that is just unbelievable. <laughs> it might be true, but that is absolutely staggering. If you think about the sort of attention to detail in the set. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, that's completely boggled my mind. <laughs> I mean, I read it and I was sort of like, is, is someone making this up? But I mean, I hope it's true, but I couldn't okay. find any evidence. So maybe it's but not true. I don't know. We need to do another big screen screening of this film because we can we can pause and check this. And I, yeah. Well, given the size of the costumes, though, it's very plausible. <laughs> that is so true. You They're just really... running around escaping fire. I believe that they could just like smoke, smoke. Can't see face. Who was Alice Brady's drag stunt double? That's what we need to know. The person should have a credit, you know. Like, who's her drag daughter? Yeah, exactly. The film I want. Yes. Well, the drag daughter was whoever was playing the German, the German bride, right? Yeah. Perfect. I and I love that she was so. I love that there's the, the the shorthand that doesn't make sense now for modern audiences is that, you know, if someone's an entertainer of any yeah. kind like that they're trash yeah you know yeah. so that so that she wouldn't because it doesn't read that way now like alice face like her costumes are totally modest and yeah. they're trash unless they're Catherine hepburn in stage door where they yeah. are impeccable you know <laughs> 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 yeah 
So yeah, I mean that that puts a whole different slant on uh, stage door and the humour in that film. But yeah, the whole point about Catherine Hepburn is you do sort of begin into wonder from the beginning. She she can't possibly be an actress because look at her, look at yeah. the fine breeding. She looks like Laurel Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> you can take her anywhere. <laughs> uh, I think well, in general, in in yeah, in in this film, for me, I was a little bit shocked by how it sees women. I mean, it's it's. I mean, uh, Tyrone, the Tyrone power character is very sort of aggressive and violent um, all all the time with women. I'm sort of like, wow, oh, okay, <laughs> um, that seems to be normal, and that seems to be very charming, and and sort of like considered as a uh, you know so, as something normal and something nice. Um, and then there's like weird moments where. He, he does all that and then suddenly he falls into a fountain backwards and he's like, what a woman. And you're like, is this the same person? <laughs> uh, this character makes no sense, but okay. It's entertaining. Yeah. It's just like, he's hot. We're just going to have him be a creep, but he's hot so he can get away with it. It's well, basically yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah and, and it's the uh, assault as like courtship, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. You do wonder whether there's a bit, Go ahead, Pam. Sorry. I was going to say, some of these films, you know, it's a bit like you're sort of slightly overbearing uncle at a wedding. He said, oh, you know, in my day, we could get away with this. In my day. So when people see these historical films, they really lean into some of that stuff because they think, well, you know, no one's going to think we've suggested this is fine now, Um, even in 1937. So it would be a little bit shocked by some of the (laughs) behaviour. That's the thing. I mean, also, there the, the, the black maid, um, a certain point that says, oh, oh, I do this until I'm black in the face. And I'm like, did I hear that right? <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, and then she has like two, her two big joke setups, the black uh, maids. Um, and the, the actress's name, her actual name was Madame, which I thought, oh, that's a cool stage name. I assume it was a stage name since most people didn't use their real names as actors. Um, but anyway, her two of her punchlines in her big scenes are calling the cops because Tyrone Power is assaulting Alice Bay. And then in both the sequences, there are two comic set pieces in both times. Like when the cop comes in, they're like making love and making out. And so the cop looks at the maid like, why are you calling me? And it's supposed to be this, ha, 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 they're actually a happy couple. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very uh, archaic. All over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it has everything. Like, imagine my Bill Hader voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. But, but those scenes do give you some pretty glorious close-ups of, like, Tyrone Power kissing uh, Alice Faye with his hair all messy. He is so handsome. Yeah, I'm a queer I'm woman, and I am just, like, <laughs> just gazing at him. Well, you know, you know, it's a woman in drag, obviously, because they couldn't let men do that in those days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the truth that I want to come out. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is. It's almost offensively glossy and attractive. This film, because at the end, I, I just, I just didn't like the substance of it, and I find it, you know, I think this is quite an early example of one of those sort of Oscar bait films. Really, I, I, I would not necessarily recommend this to anyone. Evil. Oh yeah, that monologue yeah. at the end is pure Oscar bait. What we know today, it's just like, oh, that's how she won. She just, why she just won. kept yeah. talking. Yeah. She just yeah. kept going, and they're like, all the way to the Academy. Yeah. And, and if someone's cringing, someone is absolutely loving it. Someone is thinking, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to type out these quotes and put them on the wall of an Irish pub in North London sometime. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? I like not to end on a uh, end this in an old Chicago discussion on a down note. But did you guys know that Alice Brady died a year after this movie? Yeah, she was yeah, only in her, and she was only in her forties. Like they, yeah. they she like was so young. In this, obviously. I mean, it's black. And yeah, white. whenever black I and saw that she's stuff. supposed to be like a grandmother at a certain right. point, I am like, no, she is way too young for this. Yeah. And I, I want to be more positive. I wish she had won the year before the first time this category was around. So I'm That's happy great. she has an Oscar. Like, yeah. good for her. Big yeah. fan of her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can give the Oscar to the woman and not the role, right? Exactly. Prizes, prizes for everyone we like. Prizes for Tyrone's just loveliness. <laughs> like, just prizes for his whole chest because he's just so cut. <laughs> I think I was going to say chest, and then I thought, don't be crass. And really, I think when we're doing a supporting actress, it's okay. Down, the I'm crass allowed. American is here. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You, you spoke my mind. Well, to speak truth. I think Stella Dallas would approve of this conversation, too. Stella would. She would join right in. It'd be in the love book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, five, she's, she's like five mojitos deep already. She's like, <laughs> I'm with her. <laughs> and uh, so we can move right on to Stage Door, which uh, I think a lot of the actresses in Stage Door would also enjoy this conversation because they were a rowdy bunch. They sure are. They yeah. sure are. Oh, it's so, so funny. Much, it's so, so funny. Much I, I watched this the same day as Stella Dallas. And it's and it's so funny to watch um, Anne Shirley and how like earnest and, and like ideal 30s like girl she is and to move all these like wisecracking sort of tough city girls in stage door was quite a shock back to back yeah but isn't it a delicious shock I mean you know yep. that this is not that unusual I mean we all like it, it, shades of the women coming up and like yeah. yeah this is like the precursor to that really I think that this film is absolutely delicious I mean someone once said to me well of course the thing about stage door is it's terrible mm-hmm. and I just remember thinking I've remembered it wrong and I, when I rewatched it for this I just thought you know what no, it's the best that person is terrible. Yeah, no, forget him. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is a perfect film. My letterbox <laughs> review was like, "Hot girls unite." I love this movie so much. Yeah, well, I think what it gets dinged for all the time is that it's so catty, and people are like, "Oh, it's because like you know, men, you know, were in charge of Hollywood." I'm like, oh, "This is from a stage play by a woman," and uh, and it gives so many good roles to actresses. I don't really buy that as an argument against this movie because I think the movie has a lot of heart too and I think the movie even addresses like the fact that these are tough exteriors but underneath like they all have you know real heart and feelings and and they all have career troubles I I really love this movie I think anything that you could find to pick away at you sort of turn around and realize the whole thing works as this most gloriously camp thing where you just have people acting and being funny for the joy of acting and Calla lilies being in bloom. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's delicious. There's nothing that I don't love about it, really, I think, um, apart from the fact that it ends, and um, particularly Eve Arden and her cat. I think there's one thing I don't love about it. There's one thing that I only kind of like about it. Uh, and unfortunately, that is Andrea Leeds, uh, because she's the one who doesn't get to have any fun. No. She any funny lines. She hasn't got any quips. She's like the sad one whose career is not going well. And I feel as though the journey she has to go on just becomes kind of ridiculous by the end, to be honest. I, I can't. I mean, the, the character is there to make everyone cry uh, and everyone else does a great job of crying. 
don't get me wrong, they do they do some excellent crying in the last 10 minutes, but she, to get us there, has to go through the hokiest bit and her kind of staircase staircase climb to her own doom thing. I just I just can't go there with her. I can't. I'm not there, I'm sorry. Sorry, Andrea. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean the thing with Andrea and this is that 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 she's not even that scene is all like cinematography doing the work, cinematography and sound um, for that staircase climb, you know, being portents of doom. And then her, she's going a little crazy and she hears, you know, voices on the sound mix. I'm also just going to add, never have a birthday in one of these films because it will end in tears. You know, <laughs> no. either, you're, either you're Anne Shirley and no one shows up and it's the worst day of your life, <laughs> or you're Andrea Leeds and the dream role that you've been hoping to get gets given away to your, your buddy and you start crying everywhere and, and then kill yourself. So yeah. don't have a birthday. <laughs> um, I have a weakness for staircases in films. Mm. I have an Instagram account entirely dedicated to this, which nobody loves. It's fine. It's just me. So I, I appreciated the use of a staircase here because the, the paradox of this film is that she is the only leading actress here. As in her character is the only cap- person capable of really being a leading actress. And she is so much a supporting actress in a, surrounded by all these leading ladies so there's a whole kind of complicated math going on which i i do forgive her for being less than exciting but yeah i know you're right timmy this is not the best part of the film but it's interesting to see the oscar categories working out what they really want because there are so many great supporting roles in this film yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean you could feel like i need to stick up for her a little though because she's the most realistic part, and I hang out with a lot of my actor friends that are always waiting for their big break, and I'm like, no, she's actually the most, like, yes, there are some catty, funny moments. Actors are always super fun around each other, but this is the most realistic. It's really tough and depressing sometimes, and you just are always wanting something, and you're always down on your luck because it's so competitive. So I really felt for her. I've seen this movie way too many times to admit, but... <laughs> I just, I have to stick up for her. I think she does a great job. It is a tragic character. And yes, that does blueprint the category a little bit in these early years. But I really feel for her because she's going on the most honest journey of it all. I wish we could all be Catherine Hepburn and Ginger Rogers, but we're not. Yeah, Can I be be Lucille Ball? Ball, Please do. Uh, She's my real winner of the category this year. I love her. I was going to say Eve Arden, like like Pamela. I'm a huge fan of Eve Arden and that cat. Also a supporting actress, as it turns out. It's one of the twists of the movie. It's actually a female cat. (laughs) Even though it's named with Henry. Um, So, so like, I watched this uh, with my boyfriend, and he has this very adorable cat who's very, very cuddly, right? So he's always, like, on top of one of us. And even he would not, like, how did they get that cat? It it drapes around her shoulder, like, it's a, like a mink coat. And the cat never complains. I don't know if they drugged the cat. <laughs> I just... You have to. I have a cat, and he is just, like, a complete little psycho and doesn't. He can be sweet, but no. Well, you know, I have to tell you that I have these two new rescue cats and they're very standoffish, but Elsie watched Stage Door with me. Um, Elsie did sit still long enough to watch Stage Door and I wonder whether the cat was keeping her going. She also watched <laughs> Betty Gordon's Variety with me the night before, so she's got, a, she's got a wide variety of taste, but she's clearly into feminist cinema. And now I have to go away and write a thesis that connects Stage Door and Variety, which, you know, the cat's going to help me write. Well, I think she needs her own letterbox account. Yeah. <laughs> she does. She does. She's she does. looking at inspiration. She's hoping to break into the theater. Yeah. 
do think I was a little bit hard on her because I do think Andrea's first few scenes are quite good. With the, the she, she underplays really well. You need someone doing that, and she lays it out well. And I think she's really good at her scene where she meets Catherine Hepburn, and they feel as though it's a kind of meeting of equals. Uh, and she kind of opens up a bit. And, and she's also she's also good at her birthday scene. Yeah, she has really that scene. scene. From then on, there's nothing for me. From then on, it's just catatonic, kind of, you know, we're in that zone now. We're in in the third act and we have to crank it up. And and I don't think there's much left for her there. And Uh, it's so hard when Lucille Ball is just there and we already have this history with her, but you're seeing like the seeds of that and how brilliant she was and how film just did not serve her like they should have. She's so good and funny. I love her. It's interesting when you say about the first few scenes with Andrea Leeds because that really is, you know, she's like that, you know, in the beginning of Gold Diggers of 1933 where Ginger Rogers just goes, well, it's a depression, dearie. She's the whole point saying this is why they're having all these black, this black humour. This is why they're constantly sort of nibbling at each other. This is why they're so stressed. Because deep down, they all really feel like her. And one sort of cynical way to look at the film would be to say, she's the only woman in the house who can actually express those feelings, who has the kind of talent to do so. If you really thought about the thought of being, you know, an out-of-work actress in 1930s, you know, blah, 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 you know, they're all living beyond their means. They're all, I mean, some of the situations they get into with uh, young men for the sake of a good dinner, it's a pretty harrowing aspect. Uh, so and one of the ways that I think, you know, the, the humour works, I, I don't really like the word catty, not to criticise people for using it, because I know that's the way to describe it, and I probably have done that, it's it's vicious humor you know and vicious humor comes from a dark place and sorry for anyone who ever enjoyed this film but I really think we have to think about the horror of it all and Andrea Leeds constantly reminds you of that I think we get to a point where you know the color lilies can wither but yeah, yeah. there's a really important um, point to have in there boy do yeah, you... I agree with you there I mean yeah it becomes a very I mean you need someone that is more human and more relatable as, as you were saying Chelsea for the whole thing to work in the end I think because if it's only the sort of crazy actresses, you know, being being funny and bitchy, and in the end it becomes quite superficial. Like you need to have a sense of what is happening um, under the surface for all these women. And um, as you said, Pamela, I think that that's this is where the, that balance sort of really works. You know, you need one to have the other, and um, for the whole thing to have more sense than just, you know, it's not just a comedy. <laughs> Yeah, and the I, character just gives like such a great reason in the end for Ginger Rogers and Catherine Hepburn, that beautiful moment. So I'm fine with how it all worked out. I really loved the end of those two and how that, that character played into it. I think the Ginger Rogers role is like really interesting, actually, because she is so cynical and she's so anti what what uh, I forget the woman's name that she's most at odds with at the beginning Um but that character and Lucille Ball, she she's constantly judging them for going out with men and mm. so having these like transactional relationships. And yet the second she's offered one, she takes it. Mm. And she's so flippant about that too, that I just think it's a really like interesting performance without drawing attention to the fact that it's interesting. I think Judge Rogers is really good in this too. Yeah, me too. She still the show for me in the end. Like every time I feel like I have a different favorite, but it always comes back to Ginger. I love her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, if you wanted to share a room with anyone, it's going to be Ginger, not Catherine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> One of the things that's happened since I last watched this film, weirdly, is that I've done some of that family tree research and that quite a few of my not too far away forebears used to run theatrical boarding houses. 
So I'm now like, my eyes are in the ceiling, you know, eyebrows are in the ceiling, thinking about what got they all got up to. And, you know, just thinking about <laughs> that particular kind of transient camaraderie, you realise there should be more films in this setting. I know there are quite a few good boarding house films, but it's more or less like wartime, you know. Yeah. It's desperate. Yeah, it's more like, I, it just reminds me of like Brooklyn, where it's like one person and you get some of it, but then you just want more inside the house with the women interacting because they're so funny. Even when it's like catty, it's like, no, sometimes women, we just have to like get some aggression and anger and everything out. And we just know we can take it from each other. I think we're fine. Like these women know each other so well, have been living together so long and that they just, they're there for each other in every way. You were talking, Pam, you were talking about how, how you think Stella Dallas is a very kind film. And this is not kind in the same way, as you were saying, a lot of the humour is vicious. But there is compassion, not only in Andre's character, but also the way the film deals with Constant Collier's character, who all the yeah. other women could be vile to, but they don't. They actually kind of like, they respect her up to a point. She's the, the older lady who um, wants to do tuition and uh, kind of brings out her reviews at the drop of a hat and reads them out. Yeah. And the, the, the other characters could be really horrible to her, but they're not. No, um, I think that's interesting. And it's interesting you talk about letting out um, aggression with that kind of humour, because in a way it's quite respectful to play the wisecracking thing with your friends. You know, not to, not that everything has to be sort of a straightforward. I do like your skirts. You're a very good person. You know that you can play and enjoy each other's cleverness because it's, if you were sat in that room with all those women, you'd think they're so clever, they're so funny. Why are they not on stage? They're all showing each other off at their best advantage, really. And yeah. they're all uh, leaving the unspoken dangling deliciously in the air as well, which is great. Yeah, it gives me the found family feel. Like, you can yeah. be all these things with your family. So that's what they remind me of. I just love them. Yeah. I, I do think it's interesting that, like, this is based on a play and and yet it doesn't feel, even though it's like a lot of it is in one setting, it doesn't really feel stage bound. Like, I think the, um, the uh, Gregory Lakava, he's such a good director, but I think he gets really, like, he gets it. Like, he doesn't, tr there are scenes outside of the boarding house, but it, it doesn't feel like that awkward, like, I'm opening up the play that a lot of movies have trouble doing. Um, and I think it's how it's shot it doesn't feel like it's just in a wide shot where you're following people all the time unlike one that we haven't talked about yet but yeah. I just feel like there's so much energy in the scenes and the editing that we're just in it with them well that staircase actually is like a really good example because it's not mm -hmm. just that scene they use that staircase for humor too so like when the staircase becomes a tragic thing you're already very familiar with that walk you know yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Great staircase movie. What can I say? Yeah. Up there with Mildred Pierce. You're a big fan of the spiral staircase as well, you must be. It's almost too obvious, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well let's move on to, let's move on to the very stage bound Night Must Fall. Oh yeah. Um, now this is I would I, maybe this is the least well known of these movies. Um and this is sort of a mystery, uh an early uh well, it's not really a serial killer movie, but it's a, a homicidal <laughs> mystery. Um, and based on a play, and Dame May Whitty plays this older woman who hires this obviously suspicious man. Um, and what did you... I, I, I'm just going to put it out there because I don't know what you guys thought of this movie. I thought the psychology... It was obviously interested in psychology, but I found the psychology so vague. Like, what is going on with... Um, and I, I don't like movies that hit me over the head, but at the same time, I was just kind of like, I don't understand Rosalind Russell's character. 
or what she's going for because she's I think she's attracted to the killer. Yeah, she's got the hot spin even then she begins to realize that he's a killer. Yeah, that's the point. But but even that is not played to the point where I think it's really clear or even interesting. Like I just didn't really understand that relationship. However, I loved Dame May Whitty in this. Yeah. I mean, it's Dame May Whitty's film and everyone else is just set dressing. And she's not even very well directed in this, but she is just she is the reason to watch this film. hundred percent. I I I was quite disappointed in this film. I hadn't seen it before. I'm sorry to put out there, I know, because it's because we've got British crime. I don't know, I don't know. No, um, and we found a Liverpool legend, and Demi Whitty is brilliant. She's playing this entire role. It made me think of all those weird little relationships in Moshe Verdu and things like that. But Rosalind Russell, who normally I would watch sort of, you know, folding her laundry, really, really underwhelmed me, and, and I just wanted more of May Whitty constantly. I think, she, I think Rosalind does struggle in that role, and I'm, I'm wondering if they had censorship problems in terms of making it. The, the psychology more explicit with her. But I, I do yeah, like Robert Montgomery in it. Yeah. I like Robert Montgomery in it quite a bit, and he got a nomination, didn't he, for Best Actor? Yeah. And I think he's he actually does pretty solid work all the way through the film. But it's weird that we can talk about category fraud and so on, but it is weird that Dame May is down in supporting for this because it was her play before it was her film. She had played the same role on stage and brought it over. It was her first movie in Hollywood, and it sort of established the entire kind of... Um, um, archetype that she would then carry on playing for the next whatever years this kind of bossy dowager basically right and I thought at first that it was just going to be another one of those and I've seen her do it in Mrs Miniver and whatever and mm-hmm. I was like oh I'm, I'm going to get bored of her but then actually I really did not and I thought that she becomes funny because she's when she's kind of cooing over Roman Montgomery that that gives her loads more to play off the, the film is so odd and pedestrian it has yeah. so much so much dead space that in a way she just treats it like a stage and she yeah. just gets loads she gets loads of screen time to kind of put in loads of detail and make her character more interesting. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think she she, she holds up pretty well. well I think she badly oh sorry. No, I was was, see, even even the sexual attraction thing that Rosalind Russell's working with but not being explicit about comes off so much more depth in or in so much more interesting way with Dame May Whitty's character. Because you can tell, especially the giggling, which I think is a really interesting part of her performance, because she seems like not the sort of woman who would ever giggle. And then she's like constantly giggling. And like, as you said, cooing is a great word, cooing over this man who is clearly like evil. (laughs) So because she's clearly attracted to him. And it's I think that the psychology that they were going for comes off much better with her character, where it's not meant to be as explicit. And yet it reads much better. Yeah, no, I agree, and and, and I, I think what Tim said is interesting. I mean, I also had the impression maybe they were trying to deal with censorship rules or some sort of like they're not really quite sure how explicit they it should be because maybe they don't want to market it as something, but at the same time they sort of want to go there, and that's why it ends up being nothing. You know, sort of sit there and watch it and go, oh yeah, hmm. <laughs> it doesn't work as a thriller really at all, does it? It just sits there. No, I think no. I wrote in mine, it's like 40 minutes too long and it's yeah. poorly paced. And I liked her performance fine. I think it's just consistent, but they don't do anything to like elevate her to make it more interesting. It just feels like it's so overlong. So I'm pretty down the middle on this. I like her in so many other films and I get why she's in supporting actress. Character actresses usually were not only big stars and lead, whatever, but I just... The film was way too long, and it kind of kills any tension or subtlety. 
Yeah. yeah, well, it's even longer than in old Chicago, right? And in old, in old Chicago, packs so much into that running time. <laughs> even if you don't like it, it is just like it's doing a lot. Whereas, oh yeah, it's like is- almost two hours, and I am like, no, you need to be like under an hour and a half, and I think you'd be way more effective. Well, I kept yeah. thinking what Hitchcock would have done with the material, and it would have been way shorter. Like if if it, in, in old Chicago was like, hurry up, Inferno. This is like, hurry up, Night and Fall, please, just fall. Yeah. get on yeah. with it. Yeah, um, it's a bit like what would Columbo do with the same material? I mean, yeah. it really felt like an episode of a TV kind of detective drama because it's so obvious that this guy is, you know, bad news, and you are just waiting for it to happen. I felt on a technical level, either May Whitty was not well it was Hollywood debut not so okay with the cameras or it's just bad directing there's a lot of sort of misdirected glances and looks and especially in her sort of final scenes and it's almost like it feels too long and at this sort of micro level you know every little shot and look and conversation just meanders a little bit Mm. out of you know it would have been right for re-editing or picking up I completely agree it feels like stagey like I usually like plays to film I don't really have too many complaints most of the time but this felt like they didn't really try to make it a film it's almost like they were trying to shoot the play as is and they just you know I just she was not familiar enough with the camera to really be as impactful as like a Margot Martindale would now yeah although I I I will say the moment where she stands up and walks is so hilarious to me <laughs> and I'm glad that's in a wide shot because like you know she's been it's not even like they don't even tell you that that she can't walk um but you know it's just so funny because she's been playing up how invalid she is but she's not really you know she's just cranky I just wish we had more of those like scammer moments where it's like she can actually do these things but she just wants everybody else to do it I wish they'd played that up because that was a great moment when she just stands up and just goes about her business (laughs) I think we also could have had more and perhaps a nomination for Mel Tottenham because I don't know if it's good or not but I enjoyed the hell out of Mel Tottenham as the maid uh the cockney maid so much so much more fun again than uh (laughs) than the lawyer or Rosalind Russell. <laughs> well, one of the things that I think doesn't work about it because of the Rosalind Russell's like lack of sexual chemistry with Robert Montgomery, I think, is that, you know, you're supposed to be comparing that to her love interest in the movie, which is this guy that she has made it clear she's not in love with. And yet there was this, to me, there was the same degree of chemistry between both of those couplings. Mm. So then when well, she- zero for both of them, yeah. 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 I'm glad Rosalind Russell found comedies because this just felt so forced in so many ways. She has no chemistry with them. Yeah. It just, just feels like the character spot. also is so underdeveloped in many ways. I don't I know I'm feeling her. And I love her. But we can play that her. game of swapping at the swapping the uh, the actresses around later, but I, I, I did think for a minute that perhaps Sylvia Sidney could have taken this mm. role, Rosalind's role, and made more of it. And she obviously have a great Hitchcock actress as well because she'd done Sabotage the year before. And I think she could have done, that. she could definitely have turned on the sex a bit more. Um, I, oh, definitely. I kept thinking of Rosalind Russell's character as like Charlotte Vale, kid detective, mm. which is not a combination that you need to put together necessarily. <laughs> it doesn't flatter her at all. But I think this is exactly the kind of role that was making her so frustrated while she was clamouring for comedies. And, you know, again, so in a way, the shadow of the women falls across this one as well because just let her at it. I mean, the woman had skills. 
underutilized yeah. skills. <laughs> they eventually found her superpowers, and I'm so glad. But I love the Sylvia Sydney of it all. It's like, yeah. I would love to see what she could do because she just, I think, has a natural charisma with people that just draws people in. So I wish she had been in this, maybe. Um, one Before we move on, I wanted to say, Pamela, one of your comments cracked me up where you said, Dame Mayweather is the only one who could win a real life SmackDown, bring it, bring, bring it back to wrestling. <laughs> I really thought this Amazing. was all about that. I, just, I was ready with my cage match metaphors. I didn't know. I just, <laughs> damn. <laughs> I've misread the room, guys. <laughs> no, but I, 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 hear, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. Can um, you give that woman a steel chair? Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that. Please, somebody go back in time. Although when, you know, I like, we're, I guess we're just going to incorporate this state that the swapping of roles into the conversation rather than waiting because uh, moving on to dead ends, like Claire Trevor, I kept wanting to put her in other roles because I think she's such an amazing actor, period, in everything. Literally any other. And yet yeah. the, the it's so hard. And yet, despite her power as an actor, it's so hard to picture her with like the fragility of like Andrea Leeds or the sort of mm. uh, sort of personality-free sort of vessel that, that Anne Shirley needed to be. Um, it's just so hard, even though she was young, a young actor at this point, it's so hard to picture her, you know, because there's something about her that's so street she, and hard. She has, to, she has to be Stella Dallas. She was waiting to be Stella Dallas in the next remake. Absolutely, you know, yeah. it would have, been, would have been perfect casting. Just give her a few more years and a bit more, you know, bit more blousy yeah yeah because she was only 27 uh, with dead end and and yet everything about the character reads is so world weary which is so great and she's only she only has one scene to convey all this and I know uh Chelsea you were not impressed with her but I was blown away I mean just one scene but I felt like she was giving me so much I mean I love her in so many things but it does I, I I wrote this in my email like it feels like she was wandering around looking for the cafeteria and then they just filmed her. <laughs> like, <laughs> they just give her nothing. It's a tired trope that I don't care for, like the down on her luck sex worker. And I'm like, come on, let's give her something. Because, I mean, history has shown she can do so much. And I don't think she's bad in this by any means, but she has absolutely nothing to do, it feels like. I, was, I want more for her always. Ooh. I'm, I'm actually the same. I was like, why did why was Sylvia Sidney not nominated for this? Like, she's the obvious sort of go-to person, you know. And why did they single that one out? Yeah, I'm very curious about that because to me it made no sense. I mean, she's good in it, but you, you take the scene out, nothing much changes. I mean, the whole movie is, you know. Yeah, the film functions exactly the same. Yeah. She's given Louise Rayner the Oscar for Great Ziegfeld the year before. Then the maths works out perfectly to give Claire Trevor a supporting actress <laughs> nomination. I mean, she's over. She's put in far too many hours. I, I, I think I'm going to say something morally abhorrent about the tired old trope of the down on her look sex worker. I love this trope. Partly because it's, no, but I mean, you know, in the context of 1937 cinema as well, or 1930s and Golden Age cinema, you know, if you're a little bit tired of your Anne Shirley's and Laurel Dallas's, give me more, give me more prostitutes, please. You know, um, the fact that there's dirty, nasty things about her, the fact that she has this incredibly spiky scene with Humphrey Bogart, who is always good, but I love him here. Like, he's sort of... He's oh, I love him in the film. Like I just feel like 
they yeah. needed to give her more to make this more of a character, maybe like four more scenes of this, and I'd probably love it. But this yeah. just felt so disposable, and I hate that for her. I'm with, I'm with Nat, Nat on this one. I think she's she makes absolutely the most of those four minutes. Um, mm-hmm. I wish she had more scenes because because the character that she brings in, and I, I wasn't really looking forward to her in this particularly because I think she can be rather theatrical. And I was like, she's 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 going to be the prostitute. Oh great, she's going to come blousing in and overdo it and kind of hog. Which she does in some of her later performances. I do think she does that. But she did the absolute opposite for me. I thought she was like very minutely subtle. And I was really glad that I saw a good HD copy of the film because there's just so many little flickers going on in her face. I was just completely mesmerized by her face in that scene uh, and everything she was doing. So, yeah, the, the role is a bit stock. I just think she 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 milked it beautifully for me. It's, it's a beautiful performance. It, it's just perfect just because it's short. I'm, yeah. I'm a bit baffled by the nomination just because of the sheer brevity of the role. That's the only thing. Even, I'm going to say this is my favourite acted scene of any of these nominees. For, for mm. me, she, she acts this scene better than anyone else acts anything. Yeah, but, but I can I say can I say she should have won? Not really. I mean, it's four minutes. I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, to me, I, I just, I love the idea of supporting performances being in this category so much that I'm fine with very, very short performances being honored. Um, but I want to, can we talk about the cinematography for a second? It's Greg Toland. And Greg it, Toland, yeah, oh my God. Uh, it's incredible in this movie. And also, it lost to the good earth, just like Louise Rainier won. But um, <sighs> yeah, so. Uh, what oh what I wanted to say about this is there's this moment in her scene where she steps into the light and I think you're supposed to be horrified that she's looks a little haggard or something for her age and yet she's beautiful she's Claire Trevor and um so she doesn't look terrible at all but there's something about the harshness of the light that I was just like he is really a master of this craft Greg Tolan like yeah, there's so many touches I mean it's noir so the light is very important in general but it's such a beautifully shot film. And I don't think she's bad in this. I just don't care for the role or don't think it added anything to the film. But no, this whole film is so beautifully shot. And I'm like, the art direction was wonderful. I, I wish it had won yeah. for that. I don't think it did. No. But it oh my know. goodness. I am, I really love like how this film was shot and so much of it. And Humphrey Bogart, such a babe. And all those kids, all the kids, the dead end kids are brilliant. Dead end kids. They are absolutely yeah. brilliant. It, they feel very modern. Yeah, they feel very modern. It's incredibly, technically, it is, like what people always say, it's set design, it's stage bound. But it's based on a stage design that was yeah. praised for being so realistic and um, uh, cinematic, having all this garbage. Oh, I don't talk two languages, all this rubbish on uh, on stage. Yeah. In fact, I didn't um, William Wyler keep getting told by Samuel Goldman to clean up the set and he kept bringing more <laughs> rubbish on I think because they sacked him at one point I mean w- one of the things I do love thinking about how painfully short Claire Trevor's role is in this film is that she probably did enough takes to be an entire feature film so we, we can at least know that somewhere somebody saw her get to do a whole film um and yeah just for the line I'm sick oh, I just I love her and I, I, I do think also that the the visuals and the, it doesn't feel stagey at all. The, the camera movement is so elegant that there's, it's always fine reframing and doing interesting things. And that moment when she steps into the light to me is interesting because as you were saying that she's, she's beautiful. So we're what's going on here. And, but it's about 
Bogart's reaction to that. It's about what, what their past was together and how much she must have changed in his eyes uh, for him yeah. to be that shocked. It makes you go, whoa, what's happened to her? And, that, and I think they both play that really well. Because obviously we do that a little bit with Barbara Stanwyck. I mean, in 2021, do you really wince at how many ruffles she has on her dress? You know, but you know it's wrong. And it's interesting sort of <laughs> seeing, like, I know this is Oh, yeah. Right. Like, it took me multiple watches of Stella Dallas in life to realize, like, oh, oh, she's out of place. And that's like this as well. It's like, oh, oh, she's not supposed to be beautiful, but she actually is gorgeous in this. I just, my heart, I love her. And I do love, even though this is a stage play and everything it doesn't feel like one it's not like night must fall it's like everything has so much meticulous detail I don't care that it was on a stage but they made it look beautiful well and and also if you you know unlike other stage to screen things it really does not try to open it up it is all takes place in that dead end <laughs> that street and the idea that it's claustrophobic is the whole point the fact yes. that the, the, the block of luxury flats is so close to the tenements and the gutter and the, the tank of water. Uh, sorry, I mean the, the river. I think it's aged very well, this movie. I think it has. It, it, it just really shows has, yeah. how they are so stuck in their situation and that, like, it's just such a beautiful divide. And the film makes so much sense, even politically now. Like, they yeah. could remake this today and just change a few little aspects of it. Yeah. And also, Joel McRae is very good in it. Very, very mm-hmm. good in it. And he always is, but he's Joel McRae. Joel McRae is very, very good in it as well. Everyone's good in it. Mm-hmm. They, they did remake this film just recently, and um, they put some songs in it, and they called it In the Heights. I don't know if you saw it. It's <laughs> 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 very much that. And so I was just thinking when you're saying that about when we think about the pre-code gangster films and the sort of grittiness of those, and of course it sort of it takes away a little bit of the edge, and yet you know, and it's obviously post-code, um, but with the children particularly and the stabbing I mean it, it doesn't feel like a late 30s film in some ways it feels like an early 30s film it's really edgy I suppose that might be why people don't have don't all appreciate Claire Trevor in it because she's definitely had some of her edges sanded down for 1957. Yeah. I mean this was but. before William Wyler really became like Oscar's favorite director too, because he. I guess Jeze- mm-hmm. Jezebel suddenly propelled him up the next year, didn't it? Jezebel was the one mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he had been nominated. I mean, after he had made Dodsworth before this, which is, brilliant, yeah. of course, but oh, but he wasn't, he wasn't yet um, William Wyler essentially in their eyes, at least. Um, so this is really where it's like this this period in the mid. 30s is really where it happens where he's suddenly everybody's like oh my god he's amazing with actors Dodsworth and then this and then Jezebel it's like you can't argue with him <laughs> at this point point. and isn't Lillian Hellman involved in this as well didn't she yeah, write the screenplay yeah she so she did yes because the little foxes was all clicking and of course that's one of the reasons why the dialogue is sharp and to the point mm-hmm. despite oh, yeah. um not saying after say yeah. oh, it's a gorgeous film really it really yeah. is Mm-hmm. Was, when oh, I was, and it feels like it hasn't aged at all. I mean, it's, it feels so modern in so many, so many ways. Like the the the, the dead end kids, for example. I don't know. I was reminded of the the kids from like suburban Rome that you see in Pasolini's films. You know, it's the same sort of like raw energy, and um, it doesn't feel stagey at all. It really feels, yeah, I don't know. There's some like a raw edge to it, which is it feels very modern. Well, you can see why it wasn't as big of a hit as like in old Chicago <laughs> though it's a very a dangerous movie 
still, I'm still angry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Too edgy for them. They needed literally everything else in a film. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Maybe that- it needed a final monologue, you know, that might have changed things. <laughs> Well, I don't know. The monologues in Dead End are pretty cool, too, though. I mean, Sylvia yeah. Sidney is amazing in this movie. And she I... is so good. I'm so upset that she wasn't nominated. And that yeah. freaking Lu- Louise Reiner is my nemesis at this point, because <laughs> everybody in that category is so much better than her. And it's like, Sylvia Sidney, just put her in there. She It would have been a, such a great category. Yeah. 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 And I had I had only seen Sylvia. I hadn't seen a lot of her movies she made when she was younger so I know her mostly as an older woman she's always so great in her little small roles as an old character actress Uh, but we talked about it on the 1973 Smackdown a few years ago which was one of my favorite Smackdowns and for um Summer Wishes Winter Dreams and uh yeah she's an amazing actor too but I I was I wish her legend was bigger have you seen Sabotage not the the Hitchcock movie that she's in no, I haven't actually. 1936. It's based on Comrades, uh, the secret agent, and it is br- absolutely brilliant. So yeah, she's she's so the wife whose husband Oscar Hamolka is um, is a murderer. She thinks, or mm-hmm. that, that's the idea. So it's quite quite night and fallish in a way. But she um, she's absolutely tremendous in it. Yeah. yeah. And apologies to Mank, but Amanda Seyfried needs to play her in some sort of biopic because I just kept thinking about her the whole time and how they could play that same energy. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was really taken with her in this. Now I need to see more of her early work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and everything goes to hell and things like that. Yeah. And that's that film's a banger. The weird thing about Humphrey Bogart in this, like I I agree that he was very good, but he became such a huge star. But I like when I see these old thirties movies that he's in before when he was lower build, like in this he's not I think he's Mm -hmm. fourth or fifth build in this. Um, yeah he's much lower and he well when I see this and um uh what's the Betty Davis one dark victory where he has a really small part yeah Uh, that's right yeah and he like he just resonates so much more almost more to me than he did as a star like Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a surprising he became like such a big star because he's he I think now if if you know he, he were reborn he would end up being like a very popular like supporting player i think it's a bit like jack nicholson's career mm. started right where he was kind of just hanging on in there for like 10 years before anyone could really entrust him with leading yeah. roles and then they suddenly realized well of course we should have been doing that you know right right he feels like a character actor stuck in the leading man body and i love his darker edges before he was famous i do love him once he became a leading man more than most people but I just wish he had been able to have some more of these darker roles going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just enjoy him so much more than the early stuff I've noticed. So, um, well, this has been so oh, yeah. fun to talk. I, I don't want to end the conversation, but okay. We already played the game a little bit with trading the roles, but let's, let's just go there one more time. Um, each of you pick one person, move them to a different role in one of these movies that you think would make it interesting or would change the movie somehow in an interesting way. Now, who would like to go first? Not me. <laughs> Chelsea. I plan for this. Uh, Claire Trevor, I want her in stage door. I want more for her. And I think maybe the character would pop even more with her because she has the range and can do everything, I feel like, in my heart. I just want more for her. You think she could play the sort of fragility of it? I 
think she could, and she could give it a little bit more of a darker edge that I kind of want from the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got an idea. It's just okay. completely ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. But uh, let's let's put Dame May in Andrea Leeds' role in Stage Door, and let's have her in a wheelchair <laughs> until the very end. She can get out of her wheelchair, and then she can climb up the staircase and then kill us. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> well. Can we first of all say that Marjorie Maine can play Mrs. Martin in Stella Dallas and Mrs. Martin in Dead End? Because she did, which I found quite amusing in my small mind. Um, so I, I've already said that I want Claire Trevor to play the Barbara Stanwyck role. So that's rude. I'm not allowed to do that, am I? But I will say May Whitty as Stella Dallas because, you know, she, she, she can play any age. She can play any age with that uh, grandeur and... I actually think she should have done it in her Liverpool accent, and I would have been a very happy woman. <laughs> I mean, I would put I would put uh, our dame really in the in the daughter role in Stella Dallas and see you know what because she's a character like she's and that's that's what's lacking there. So I I mean maybe some de aging we we could do that somehow. I don't know how I think we do this in thirty seven, but yeah, some kind of solution could be some because that character needs what what she brings to um, to Night My Soul. So. I would I I um, have thought about Dame May Whitty in the Alice Brady role just because like I think Alice Brady plays it so it's just too too earnest or something and that there's something about Dame May Whitty who even like when her roles are very earnest there's there's a wit to the performances and I think if there was a little more humor and it's just so weird to complain about a lack of humor from Alice Brady because she's so funny in My Man Godfrey but We've seen her be great, but man, the dame has some brass to her, and that's what the role needs. <laughs> oh, this was such great fun, and you were a wonderful panel. So as we say our goodbyes, um, if you could recommend the 1937 movie you love for the listeners, um, because there's more than just these five movies, even though we liked a few of these quite a lot. Um, so thanks again, Boyd Van Hoy. Thank you, guys. I would recommend... Um... Probably the ugly truth, I would say. The awful truth, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, just I'm a big screwball person, so that would definitely be my recommendation. Um, yeah, and Snow White, because I think it's underrated. And it was the biggest hit of the year. Um, and there was even a reference to, um, in Night Must Fall, there is a reference to Mickey Mouse, which made me laugh, because you realize <laughs> yeah. that Disney was already ruling the planet then. <laughs> and they still are now. So that was fun to, to notice, yeah. Um, Pamela Hutchinson. I was going to say The Awful Truth and Snow White. So I'm going to actually lean into my emotions and say the film that Leo McCary said he should have won for, Make Way for Tomorrow. And uh, if you thought that Stella Dallas made you cry, wait. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim Roby, thank you. Oh, that's been great. Um, I'm going to, I, I think Stella Dallas is my favourite of the year, but I'm, the other one I'm going to recommend is uh, La Grande Illusion. Grand Illusion, as, as the American release gave it, the Jean Renoir First World War movie, which is sensational. I love that movie, too. I thought that was another one, like Stella Dallas, I saw when I was very young, and I was just like, what's the big deal about this movie? And then seeing it again, like, last year, I was like, wow. <laughs> so that's one, if you haven't seen it in a long time, give it another shot. Um, and Chelsea Eichholz. Um, I'm going to be basic and recommend the first A Star is Born because I feel like it's get lost in the, the big four remakes and it needs a little bit more love. It's pretty great. I agree. 
Um, I was going to say all of these movies you guys already stole. Um, the Awful Truth is, the Awful Truth is my favorite movie from 1937. So if you've never seen that, um, I just concur with Boyd. Love that movie. Perfect so film. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the 30s really were like the screwball comedy genre was, it's just so sad that it's never, <laughs> the romantic comedy has never quite lived, lived up to the 30s heyday. We get little flashes of brilliance from the genre every once in a while. Every once in a while, but the 30s were the blueprint for everything we love today. <laughs> yes. Uh, thanks again, everyone.